Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the founder and CEO of Rebel Culture Skyrocket Education, entrepreneur, author, and speaker. It's Michael Somberg. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm awesome, Alex. Thanks for having me on the show, man. I appreciate it. Well, we're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? I'm from Long Island, New York. I'm a Long Island guy and uh, grew up uh, on, uh, you know, doing a lot of, uh, before I got into a bunch of trouble when I was younger, we did a lot of, uh, you know, beach and uh, swimming and a lot of outdoors stuff. Um, so Long Island is uh, it's where I'm from. It's actually where I'm living back, uh, back now um, after uh, about a 10 year stop in Philadelphia. So um, yeah, Long Island's the Long Island's the place for me. What's so special about Long Island that kind of you loved during your growing up, but now you want to go back? It's a great question. Uh, Long Island's a unique place. It's uh, got some beautiful beaches. It's also where I live is about forty minutes from New York City, so that is uh, that is a cool selling point. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I was happy in Philadelphia, but my wife's family is in Long Island. She said, uh, after 10 years in Philly, I'm going home. You can come with me or not, but I'm (laughs) taking the children. So, uh, I didn't have, Alex, I didn't have a choice, but no, it's, uh, it's a fine place. Uh, it's a unique place. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an okay place to be. I'm happy. You mentioned that you kind of were trouble growing up. What was the cause of that? Or was that just kind of being rebellious as your title says? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, uh, my relationship with my dad wasn't the greatest. Um, you know, he's uh, he's a, he's still alive. He's a good good guy, and he, he means well, but um, uh, hypercritical and uh, uh, very self centered. And what it led to for me was uh, lashing out to try and get some attention, somebody to tell me that uh, I'm good, somebody to tell me that you know I did a good job. Uh, and so, um, you know, anything to, anything to, I started playing in bands and anything to get the most attention possible, um, whether it was jumping off the stage or, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, throwing a, you know, full beer bottle into a crowd. I mean, anything to just be outrageous. And so uh, it's been, uh, you know, certainly a lot of work to figure some of that stuff out, but I'm happy to say that. My dad and I get along uh, pretty, pretty well uh, these days, which is cool. When you were going through those times in the household, did that play effect when you were around other kids, other individuals, when you were doing those activities where maybe people notice a change in your behavior? Yeah, it's funny that you asked that. My, my oldest friend in the world sent me a picture the other day of what I'd written in his seventh grade yearbook. And he thought it was the funniest thing in the world, but it was so angry. Uh, and I was embarrassed by it. He was like, look at what you wrote. But I was like, you know, you're, you know, F you. And, you know, it was, it was meant to be playful, mm-hmm. but it was like, you know, I hope you have a terrible summer and you're the biggest jerk I know. But, but it was meant to be like, he took it as playful, but I could see in that, you know, 13 or 14 year old, this like uh, incredible frustration, this like need to, you know, I, I didn't have any outlet in my house. I was, you know, we, we, we had to sit silently at dinner while my dad watched television. We couldn't speak uh, and, uh, you know, got almost no attention and uh, was just would lash out in those ways. I wasn't like a, a violent kid or anything like that, but, um, but certainly uh, verbally I could do some damage and, uh, and yeah, I would see it manifest with, uh, with my friends. That was a, a concrete example from just uh, a couple, you know, like a few days ago, he sent that to me. Did you ever have someone that kind of helped inspire you or motivate you? You said you maybe didn't get it at home, but was there maybe another like a male figure or someone that you got along with a coach or someone that kind of played that role? Yeah. So I actually started uh, in my mid teens, I started suffering from these crippling panic attacks. Um, It's actually 
actually interesting because my sister and my mom, when she was alive, all suffered from them. Uh, we, we would jokingly and also seriously say that it was because of my dad and his really erratic behavior and, and uh, you know, some of, uh, uh, you know, and he would, he would joke around and say that he, he doesn't have anxiety, but he's a, he's a carrier. Uh, but I started to see a, a psychologist when I was in my mid-teens, a guy named uh, Dr. Joseph Scardapane, who I actually looked up recently and uh, lives not too far from where I live, or at least works not too far from where I live. I've been meaning to, to look him up and send him a note of, of gratitude because he was the first person who understood what I was going through or really like mm-hmm. uh, articulated that he understood what I was going through. And he gave me some incredible coaching. I remember I was struggling immensely in school at the time between my relationship with my dad, uh, the panic attacks, which had consumed my life. I, I, I'd gone from, you know, a, a B student without, without trying too hard to D's and F's. Uh, not that B student is great, but I just, I wasn't really all that scholastically motivated, but still could get by. And then I got to a point where just even being in the building uh, was almost impossible. And I said to him, this is just one piece of advice, but I, uh, I've got I've got a dozen from him. But I said to him once, like, I remember I was in his office on like a Tuesday and I said, I just I just want it to be Friday. I just want the week to be over. And he said to me, uh, you know, Michael, I hear you, but uh, be careful that you don't wish your life away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he goes, you wish for enough Tuesdays to be Fridays. You wish for enough winters to be summers. Your, your whole life's going to be behind you. You won't have been present for any of it. And, you know, that's, that's decades ago that he gave me that advice. I think about it to this day and, and the people who know me will tell you, I sometimes think it may be obnoxious, but you catch me on a freezing cold Friday morning with side, uh, you know, freezing cold February morning, rather with sideways rain and wet socks and ask me how I'm doing. And I'll tell you, I'm amazing. Right? <laughs> and it's, it, this all stems from uh, this, this doctor, years ago who gave me this incredible coaching but you know on a more serious note uh he would have me practice he would actually uh have me hyperventilate uh and and, uh, just so i could feel that that feeling of being out of control and out of breath and that it wasn't it wasn't good he would actually he would recreate the symptoms of of panic for me in in his office uh somewhere in long island i don't remember where but uh, it was immensely helpful. It changed my life. It got me to a point where I was like, oh, I can, I can manage this. I'm not, I'm not afraid of these things happening anymore. So yeah, he was, a, he was a huge influence on me. Were you ever able to be open besides him to anyone of what you were going through personally? Yeah, I think, you know, my mom, I got pretty close with my mom, uh, but, you know, uh, her, people didn't understand it. And even she didn't understand it. So it was often met with frustration. What do you mean you, you can't leave your bedroom, right? Um, what do you mean you won't, you won't go in the car at night and things like that? Uh, I stopped going to dinners with my family. I stopped going on vacations with them. I prefer to stay home alone in a, in a, you know, in a house by myself than, than, than even forget about getting on the airplane, just driving to the airport was uh was something that was such a challenge for me at that time so i don't think i had anybody who i could get as close with as 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 him as the doctor but i also think i i um i internalized what was happening as being uh bad and negative uh and not something to be shared Um, so i didn't tell anybody i i i tell people about it now people who've known me for decades and they can't believe they can't believe it because I hit it so well. I, uh, I I'd make excuses for why I wasn't going to go to X party or Y event. Uh, but I didn't tell, I didn't tell almost everybody. I was, I was embarrassed. I thought it was something that was like really like bad and wrong and, and didn't realize that so many people suffer from it. Looking at where you are today, do you feel that you can be more open and share it from learning from the time when you were younger, where you kind of kept it in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's part of my story. Uh, I don't like volunteer it at parties, uh, but when we, yeah. when I talk to people about you know why I do what I do, I mean, I, I 
you know, I, I speak in front of people for a living. That's my job. Um, it also terrifies me. Um, that's why I do it. Uh, I, I, and I tell people that, um, I fly, you know, two to four times a week. I used to be petrified of, of getting even seeing an airplane, let alone getting on one constantly. And so, um, it's part of my story. Again, like I said, I don't volunteer it five minutes after I meet somebody, but I do think it's important, especially because so much of the work I do and so many of the challenges that people face is around their own fear. Now, they don't always admit it because they think it's unattractive like I did up until not all that long ago. Uh, it feels uh, like it's something that we shouldn't say, you know, television and social media uh, try and convince us that we need to live fearlessly and overcome our fear and just do it and uh, live for today and all these things. And it's not really talked about that. Um, hey, uh, I'm not sure what the ad campaign would look like that said something like, you're afraid of everything all the time. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that because I am too. Um, there's a way we can, we can still be great together. Uh, and so, so much of the work that I do is based in uh, getting people to look at like the fear that they're feeling, not as like a, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but in like a, hey, what, what's, the, what's your concern about making this next move, right? What's with it skyrocketing? It's, it's within schools or, or rebel culture. It's within, you know, a, a business or, you know, corporation. Like what's, the, what's holding you back from this? People will say things, Alex, like, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the, the outcome. I'm like, got it. So you're afraid. They're like, well, no, no, I'm not afraid. I'm just, I'm, I'm worried. And I'm like, yeah, afraid. Like mm -hmm. it's the same thing, right? It's like, but, but they'll, 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 they'll bend themselves into a pretzel to, to not use that, that word. Um, but, but it, it's helpful for me to, to share with people that like, I get it. I totally get it. Um, despite what my outward persona may project, um, I, I, I was, I, I was concerned walking into this meeting that you wouldn't accept my ideas and that you'd think, um, that I'm not smart. Right. And by the way, like, uh, I get that stuff all the time. It's, it's totally fine. It's normal. I think the scenario that you talked about where I think people view it as like weak or weakness and like, they just don't want to admit to it because it's not common for like. I think there was a time where men couldn't have emotions or things like that. And it's like, for me, it shows even more power if you're able to admit to those things. And even for my story, I was afraid to share it because what were people going to think? Oh, is this making up a story or something? There's no way. No. But then the day I did go on a show and shared it and it felt so rewarding. And yeah. then the feedback that I got, it just said, this was the time, this was the right moment that it needed to be talked about. And yeah. I'm never afraid to even talk about it. Even on the show, I would even hint at certain things. And if you took every episode that I said something about my story and combined it all together, you would get a whole yeah. like hour episode from just those right. parts. And so, but that's what I love about the show is people are so open and it shows so much power because everyone maybe has a story. Sometimes they don't want to share it, but sometimes right. we give the platform for them to be able to share it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I do think there's power in, uh, because you're right, everybody has a story and there's power in sharing your story and uh, it's what connects us. Um, we can talk data and numbers all day, but um, there's a, a connectedness that we have when we, when we, when we find, when we see ourselves in another person and say, oh yeah, like actually I can yep. relate to that. And, uh, you're infallible like me and I'm, I'm, uh, I fear things like you and we all have challenges and it's, um, I, I agree. It takes, it takes immense power. Uh, it's actually funny if you watch, you know, uh, reality television, uh, which I don't watch often, but there's this like, you know, uh, sense that, you know, you need to act like, I don't care what anybody thinks. People say yeah. that all the time. My wife and I laugh. I don't care what anybody in this house thinks of me. And it's so funny because we always like laugh that like, yeah, like actually you're, you're basically admitting that you care immensely. <laughs> yeah. 
um, uh, you just you're just probably too young or too naive or too whatever to know that that's what you're admitting. But um, yeah, you, of course you care. We all care. Right? We care what people think of us. Um, it's normal. So um, I agree that it takes a tremendous amount of power to admit it. What was that dream job that you were wanting as you were growing up? What did you see your career going towards? That's a great question, man. I mean, I was so kind of um, between uh, my relationship with my dad and the, and, and the panic attacks. And I didn't have that. I didn't have that thing. Um, a lot of kids did. They, they knew what they wanted. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't have a thing. I didn't, you know, I got nine college credits uh, my first semester out of high school and then dropped out uh, and uh, got accepted to another school and, and never went. Um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't I didn't have aspirations like that. I started playing music in my teens and I, 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 would, I thought, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I mean, I, w- I would always say that, like, hey, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a huge rock star. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would, I would sometimes act like it, which is funny because it's all an act, right? I mean, yeah. I wasn't actually that cool person. I was, uh, trying to compensate for all the things that I, I didn't believe about myself by, uh, externally acting like I was those things. But I, I always said I was going to become this huge rock star. Uh, but I've had some real reflections in the last, you know, however many years that that wasn't actually ever my goal. I was, too fearful at that point to put myself in the, in the public eye. I was almost the person, you know, running in place. Uh, I would, I would, I'd go to band practice five nights a week, but um, I didn't ever do the, the things that it took to become an actual success at music. I didn't hop in a, a van with my buddies and tour the country playing club after club. That would have been too vulnerable. Uh, that would have made me too vulnerable. I, I preferred to play the, the one or two clubs in, in my hometown or the adjacent town that we knew we could pack out and uh, and just drink our faces off and, and snort a bunch of drugs after the show and and act like uh, we were we were going to be the next big thing. But I don't ever think it was an actual uh, a belief that I actually had. I think that if it if it would have miraculously happened, I think I would have I would have blown it up because I didn't actually want it. I was too afraid that it would. I was too afraid of it, if that makes sense. During that time playing music, was the financial aspect ever like in your mind? Because you, a lot of times musicians want that big million dollar contract selling out stadiums, but it almost sounds like you just wanted just to enjoy the experience and just do something that you love doing. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think I, I did have fantasies of... Um, like a, an easy life with lots of money. Uh, but I don't, again, I don't, I don't think I ever authentically wanted, wanted the, the kind of the rock stardom thing. I think it was more a, a character I was playing. And, uh, you know, you say, was it something I just really enjoyed? I, I, I did in some sense enjoy it, but it, like a lot of things in my life at that time was also, um, kind of uh, shrouded in, in, in abuse. And what I mean by that is, you know, we'd go to band practice and uh, while my bandmates would drink a couple beers, um, I'd drink a 12 pack uh, and then I'd drive home. Um, and while we'd, we'd play a show and, and, you know, my bandmates would, you know, have a, a you know, a lot, you know, do a bump or two of, of cocaine, I'd, I'd, I'd be up for two days afterward. And so while I do enjoy music and I did enjoy it, it was, I had so much uh, self-loathing at the time that I, I think I needed to turn everything quote unquote good into, into something uh, that I didn't enjoy and something that would, something that would hurt me if that makes sense. Did it ever go too far and you kind of had to think, I need to do something else? It, it always went too far. <laughs> and I thought that until the next night. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that many times. And uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't, nothing changed until my mom passed away. She passed away in, in, uh, in November of 2001. And um, 
I was a pretty uh, terrible, uh, terrible son. I don't know, terrible person. I mean, I was never like, I'd never take your money. I'd never like hurt you or anything like that. But man, I was, I was, I was all in it for me. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a team player back then, if that makes sense. And she passed away uh, and I went on like a four month bender that, you know, I thought would, would, would kill me. I, I wanted it to. And in March of 2020, uh, 2002, I said, Hey, this is, this is over. Uh, and uh, I shifted my life right then uh, and said, I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to actually contribute to this world versus taking from it. Did you have any ideas of what you wanted to contribute to this world? No, no, I had no clue. I had no clue. I got, I remember it was a pouring, a pouring um, like Tuesday and I, I got a, uh, a flyer in my mailbox. I was living in a basement apartment somewhere and got a flyer in my mailbox for a, a, a holistic college uh, in New York that uh, could teach me how to do, um, you know, acupuncture and massage and, I'd gotten into yoga at that point in my life. And so I, I drove up to the school and I walked in right th- that day. Uh, and like, uh, I just said, Hey, I'd like to, can I get some more information? And, uh, they said, yeah, like, do you want to want to talk to somebody about financial aid? Do you want to, I basically enrolled in college right then wow. and spent a year. Yeah. I spent a year focused on like Eastern medicine. And I loved it, but what it showed me, uh, which I think is a good thing to find this out, is that like I actually didn't want to do that as a career. I thought it was really awesome, and it was better for me as a hobby. So I then left there and went over to Queens College and got a degree in media studies, and thought I'd like write for write for television and write copy for different advertisements. And I got a job offer uh, after I graduated uh, in Manhattan for uh like they wanted to pay me $24,000 a year uh which uh you know I'm not the guy who cares what anybody makes uh, but but to live in New York and make that yeah. amount of money it's really hard uh and so uh I passed and uh my cousin reached out to me I was living in New York at the time my cousin who lived uh who lived in Philly at the time she still does she said hey there's a charter school network in Philadelphia that's doing some incredible things and they're willing to um, help uh, help really talented folks get their certification if uh, if you wind up teaching there and um, so I, I just said all right like let me let me let me meet let me meet everybody and let me go down and I, I came down to Philly and I did a demo lesson it was total total garbage but uh, I convinced the uh, the interviewer, I told her how hard I'd work and how passionate I'd be about, about, you know, the work. And they, uh, they took a chance on. So uh, that was the beginning of saying, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do good. I'm going to do good in this world. And I'm going to, I'm going to put all my energy into uh, how I can make this uh, a better place for uh, not for me, but for others. Having that knowledge on the holistic college, do you kind of utilize those techniques and things today? Um, Because I know a lot of people like yoga, auras, meditation is a very popular topic that people utilize in their lives. Do you still utilize those techniques? Yeah, so I, you know, I practice meditation. I'm like, I was certified, like a certified level two um, Reiki or certified as a level two Reiki, uh, not a master. I forget what it's actually called, but uh, I will sometimes uh, perform Reiki on my wife or on my kids if they're under the weather. Um, I know some of the like the um, pressure points so I can like I know how to make like a headache go away if I get one um, by like uh, there's these like indentations above your eyes that if you push in. Uh, into your skull you can usually make a headache go away if you do it the right way so I I do I'd say it's not a lifestyle Uh, I I I practice yoga probably twice a year and that's way way too (laughs) way too way too little but um, yeah I'd say that it's it's a it's a tangential part of my life I need to know that more about that headache because I know a few people that could utilize that 
I know like family members, they get headaches and they're like, they have their own ways of taking care of it, but they'll hear this and I'm just going to go over to their house and they're just going to push up on something and be like, what are you doing? Like, oh, we heard it from your interview. Yeah, make sure they're not pushing into their their eye sockets. (laughs) Don't want any injuries to occur. When is the first time in your career like in your career journey that you felt that you were really accomplishing something? Uh, I, uh, in that early stage before your entrepreneurial side. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it, it was less like, um, it was less like a kind of like lightning bolt moment and more the relationships I started to form with, the students in the school and seeing that uh, my words mattered to them and seeing that um, this thing that, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of people get into education, particularly urban education, particularly white educators who teach mostly black and brown students uh, with this almost, I'm here to, to save the day mentality. Uh, It's called in education, a savior complex. And it's really frowned upon because uh, true educators partner with the students that they serve. They don't see themselves as above uh, and as a person who's there to save anybody, but actually I'm here to support you on your journey. Um, I I was the opposite. I, I, I always say like the kids, they saved me. Uh, it wasn't that I, I I wasn't there to save them. They saved me. They showed me uh, what was what what I was capable of. They showed me that what I had to say was worth listening to. They showed me that um, we could do really incredible things together. And you know, I, I, I was an, an English teacher, and ultimately just found my niche just teaching writing. And it was really amazing to see students. I started a writers group. And students would come, a lot of students, uh, across all the different grade bands. And they'd write these really amazing and powerful pieces that were incredibly honest. That's another thing, Alex. They were, like, honest in their writing. And that's hard to do. And I I always thought, like, hey, I I wonder if, like, some of the honesty that I put into this class and into the lessons is – you know, is, is, uh, through osmosis or whatever mm-hmm. is, uh, is, is, uh, is becoming a part of the kid's identity as well. When you were doing that writing groups and stuff, did that start that kind of passion of maybe I want to write something myself? Yeah. So I'd actually written, uh, I'd written a novel before, uh, I actually became a writing teacher. It didn't get published until I was, an actual teacher, but I'd, I'd written the novel beforehand. And, and, you know, we talked about my musical journey earlier. I mean, I wrote those, I wrote the lyrics, all our lyrics for, for years. And like I said, that musical journey is a little complicated, but mm-hmm. I, I still always loved writing. And um, you know, I wrote another novel while I was uh, teaching and I've, you know, written a couple others, um, you know, two have been published but I've written a nonfiction book that was published. I'm writing another nonfiction book now. So, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, if you asked me to, to kind of define myself, if you only gave me one word, I probably would say writer. It's really my, my favorite thing in the world to do. Um, but, you know, with like educator, entrepreneur, um, speaker being, being, being close second, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's actually the opposite. I, I, I became a, a writing teacher because of how much I loved writing already. Was it easier to write nonfiction because it's more real world, real emotions, things like that, than a fiction story where you're making up something. But sometimes when people are writing fiction, it's based off of something that they're thinking about or an experience in a way. Yeah. I, I personally find uh, nonfiction a hundred times easier. to write. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I may be, I'm not sure sure if I'm on an island with that but with nonfiction, feels like uh take your ideas uh put them down on paper uh organize it so it's digestible and I'm, I'm of course oversimplifying this but fiction is uh character development 
uh, and uh, every single line being poured over to make sure that there's, I mean, there's a rhythm to writing fiction. There's a rhythm to writing nonfiction, but, you know, there's a, there's like this musical aspect more so to writing fiction that uh, I love, but is also is very challenging. I mean, every, every line to me has to, I say, I, I say, you know, every, every word has to jump off the back of the word before it yep. and kind of lift the story. And uh, with nonfiction, that's, that's less so. I remember I was going through something in my house and I found this like movie script that I made in high school and it was a fiction story. And I'm, I'm reading this. I'm like, what was I thinking on the story at the time I was writing it? And it was about like relationships and people. And I'm just like looking at this and I'm thinking, this is a lot of work for me. And so So I was going around my house and I found a script that I made in high school and it was about a fiction story, but I'm like looking at this and I'm thinking, what was I even thinking at the time? Cause like nonfiction, it's more, it's like real life stuff and fiction. It was like relationships and like TV dramas and stuff. And it was hard to do it. And I'm like, Oh, if I wrote something that I had like experience about and it almost goes back to like when we were talking about being real and talking about our own stories, it's so easier to talk about it. If we live through it, than try to make something up and not know what we're talking about. So I love nonfiction better because I feel that I connect more when I'm reading it than a fiction story in that way. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I think all, all fiction, at least uh, anything I've ever written, but, uh, I feel like some of the some of the great writers, there's 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 something in in you know of themselves in the work. Uh, at least that's what I've always heard or read. Uh, I I too find it much harder to write something about topics that I, I have no understanding of. Um, I mean, why would anybody do that? It feels really like. Um, it would just feel like such a labor uh, yeah. for me to like write about like the housing crisis, but like, like, yeah. like I don't, yeah, I don't really, I don't really understand that as well as, 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 as uh, you know, millions of other people. So that's not the topic I write on. How many more books do you think you could write? Or do you have a number of where you want to hit before you're like, I think I'm good where I'm at? Uh, so yeah, I've retired from uh, reading fiction. I think I've retired from writing it as well, to be honest. Um, just because it, it's uh, it's such a um, and I love it. So I don't want to I don't want to speak ill of, of writing fiction, but it's such a labor. And for me to write a good book, not a great book. I'm not sure I've ever written a great book, but for me to write a good novel takes like over two years. Wow. And um, yeah, I can write a, a nonfiction book that could be on the shelf, on the shelves in people's hands, um, helping them in some way uh, in, in three months. And so it's not just about the, um, you know, how kind of uh, how much more streamlined that process is. For me, it's just it's the it's the journey I'm on right now around like just making a difference for people. And I could do that much more uh, writing, writing nonfiction. Talk about your start in your entrepreneurial journey. How did rebel culture and skyrocket education come about? And so I was a teacher and then, you know, I, I, I'll oversimplify this in some ways because, I, you know, the story is longer than this, but I, I just, I wanted to have more impact. And so I mm -hmm. became an instructional coach and, in that charter school network. And, and I went from, you know, teaching a hundred students directly to coaching teachers who were responsible for teaching 5,000 students. Uh, and then I wanted to have more impact. So I uh, applied for the job of director of strategic partnerships for the network. And I was charged in that role with traveling the country, going to conferences, speaking at conferences, training school leaders and teachers from around the country on our um, you know, school leader, uh, school leader uh, effectiveness models and instructional coaching models and school culture models. Uh, we'd have trainings uh, back in Philly where I was 
living at the time where I'm actually calling you from or talking to you from right now. But we'd have folks in a room who were, uh, you know, between all the students in there and all their buildings, we'd have, you know, 200, 300,000 students uh, impacted by the by the people in, in those rooms, which was really, really inspiring and really moving. Uh, but I said, I want to do, I want to do more. Uh, I love the, the charter network where I was at, but they wanted to go a little bit more slowly than I wanted to go. And so with, uh, with not a lot of money in the bank and with, uh, two tiny children and, uh, a soon to be pregnant wife, which I didn't know about. That might have changed my calculus, but uh, with uh, with with those things in place, I uh, I started Skyrocket Education. Uh, I had an idea, and was fortunate enough to get some people to believe in it early on, and to say, "Hey, like we'd love to bring you in, and we'd love you to coach our folks." Uh, started really small, and had to borrow money from my my little sister to pay my my first couple mortgage payments, but uh, we got our first check for, I remember it was for $15,000. And uh, I was like, all right, like people are going to pay, pay me for this. This is, this is cool. So uh, we're now, I'm six years into the skyrocket journey. We're now a team of 11. We have partners all over the, all over the United States. Uh, We have some international partnerships as well. And, uh, I'm just fortunate enough to work with incredibly brilliant, uh, brilliant people on a daily basis who just want to make a difference for, for kids and for families and, um, and really do incredible work. You know, the, Alex, the thing that I realized in my skyrocket journey and all of our schools are in, uh, you know, traditionally underserved neighborhoods, neighborhoods where poverty and, and trauma and, and, and violence are high and where, you know, infrastructure and, and funding are, are low. Uh, so much of the conversation is about students and families and, and their, you know, perceived deficits, I'll put deficits in quotes. Uh, but so many of my observations were like, hey, this is, this is about the adults. And um, there's a school around the block from here where uh, it's the same student, uh, it's the same student body makeup and same neighborhood and same challenges. Why are all the adults there super happy? Why are their results better than the results in this school? And so I started to study that at schools at first, but then across industries and airline industry and food service, real estate, um, fashion, and said, there are all these examples, even if it's not a company as a whole of a, of a team that operates differently than the the team that's on the floor above them or the floor below them. Uh, and I, I, I observed that the leaders, and when I say leader, I mean anybody who manages a team of people. It doesn't have to be the CEO of a 500-person company. It could be somebody who manages five people on a team. But the folks who put culture first, who put culture over everything, had uh, you know, higher productivity rates, uh, better employee satisfaction, uh, larger profits, uh, fewer fewer resignations, people who stayed longer. And I said that there are rebels in this space who don't subscribe to so many of the traditional narratives about work, many of them being like, work sucks, your boss is an mm-hmm. idiot, they don't know what they're talking about, like, do the minimum, like, you know, folks who on, uh, you know, employees who on, on Monday morning at 8 a.m. Are, are praying for 5 p.m. Uh, and on, you know, Monday or, or Tuesday, they're, they're praying for Friday, not unlike me when I was in high school. And I said that there are rebels in this space who say, yeah, that's not going to be my reality. And my employees are going to feel really valued uh, and they're going to be really clear on what I'm asking of them. They're going to be aligned behind what we're trying to accomplish here together. That's why I started Rebel Culture to support leaders and building teams that folks really wanted to want to be a part of. You know, Alex, people spend roughly 33% of their adult lives working. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a third. You know, you know, like you like you don't have to be a mathematician to figure that out. It's a third of our lives. Like 
man, it's that's a that's a real drag to do that unhappily and to be uninspired and to feel like you're not a part of something. So that's the that's the mission I'm on now. Uh, I think it's I think it's a ripoff. I think it's a ripoff, and I think it's solvable. Not maybe in every case, but in many cases, I do think this is solvable. And so we're trying to provide leaders the tools to 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 do that. Was there ever a time where your entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey was so hard that you thought about quitting? And because maybe it wasn't growing at a certain rate, or was the impact and the passion that you had for the cause worth it because you wanted to make this mission a reality? Yeah, it's the latter. There was never a point when I thought about quitting, uh, despite some of the challenges we faced along the way. Uh, there were points at which I, uh, I had some people like steal some intellectual property from me, pass it off as their own, make money off of it, like lots of money, money that could have gone to, gone to our company and went to mm-hmm. them instead. And I was a small company at the time. And, uh, it was like a, a third or, or a quarter of what, what, I, what we could have made that year and we needed it. And I think that there were some situations like that where I learned about people and their motivations. And uh, I kind of like, I think got like a real education on the job. And those times were tough and they were um, frustrating, but there was never a time when I thought that I'm going to, that I was going to quit or step away um, despite, uh, you know, times when, I didn't know where the next check was going to come from. You talked about how people work 33% of their lives. As the leader of your company, have you been able to enjoy the things that you want to enjoy and not be all about work all the time? I I am not great at that. Uh, And so I'm trying to become better at it. I was in Las Vegas last weekend for a bachelor party. (laughs) <laughs> My wife and I are going to Key West uh, this Friday uh, for for three days. Uh, it's my birthday weekend, so we'll be down there for the birthday. Uh, so I am trying to do a better job at that. I think what what's 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 great is I got to a point with Skyrocket Education where you know I, I worked like an animal for six years. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, planes, trains, automobiles every day, um, sometimes leaving at, you know, 5 a.m. on a Monday morning and getting back at 11 p.m. on a Friday night and then leaving at 5 a.m. the the next Monday morning. Uh, And I did, I've done that for years. Uh, I have, you know, status on every, on on the airlines and on the (laughs) Amtrak and all that stuff, right? I've I've, I've earned my stripes. But what's cool is I've I've gotten to a point, um, thankfully, gratefully, where the people that I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by at Skyrocket are so brilliant and so passionate that I've been able to pull back slowly. And the plan for next year is that I'm going to pull back much more and truly be in the CEO role, uh, which I know CEO role is not easy, but I've been doing multiple jobs and it'll be nice to do one job. And um yeah, so I, I I plan to do better at that though. You know, Rebel Culture is launching in 21 days, and so talk to me a year from now, Alex. And <laughs> see if I've I've taken my own coaching and uh, and and been able to enjoy enjoy things more. Looking at your journey and how you got to where you are today, would you have changed anything, or do you feel that each step you've taken, you've learned so much more about yourself, and you needed that? to get to where you are today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's the, it's the latter. Uh, I've certainly at times thought, Hey, you know, you know, I have my, my, I had my daughter, uh, in my, in my, you know, early forties, uh, I'm doing the math and thinking that, you know, when she's X age, I'm going to be Y age and man, I want to, I want to, you know, be there for her. And I have two boys as well who are a little bit older, but I've certainly thought about things like that. Like, man, I would have wish I would have made some of these smarter quote unquote choices when I was, when I was younger. Doesn't, it 
it wouldn't matter, man. It's like the the my life would not be what it is right now, which is not to say it's it's perfect by any means, but it's it's exactly what I want it to be. Um, or so much of what I want it to be. If I hadn't taken, if I hadn't gone down all those alternative paths, um, if I'd gone to college at, at 18 and graduated at 22, there's no way that I'd be right here right now, which doesn't mean that I wouldn't be in a great spot somewhere else, but I'm certain that you and I wouldn't be talking today. Uh, and, uh, and all those things had to happen for me to get to this place. Well, I even agree with that. I think each step, as much as there's sometimes that there's parts where I wish it didn't happen, I feel that it's part of my story and I'm going to make the best of it. And like I say, if the pandemic didn't happen, the show would not be happening. And I always say, as much as it's not sound good to say that the pandemic brought something good, but it did bring something good to be able to show more people what I'm able to offer and be able to do. And so I think that you take each situation that you go through and you learn from it, you grow from it. And that's been my part of my journey and I love it. And now I'm not afraid to say that I went through it because I use those power now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's a phenomenal point. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that we as a as a as a society uh, will, you know, COVID was horrible in so many ways. And it is, um, you know, it is part of our our collective journey. And five years from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, will have there'll be there'll be so much good that comes out of it. You're you're one example um you know i'm a, i'm another i started a new company during during covid i may not have if it didn't happen so um certainly not saying it's a good thing um yeah. which i know you you know you just said but but you're right it's it's part of the journey and i i found that it's it's probably more more uh impactful or um more helpful to uh, kind of ride the wave at points uh, versus, uh, trying to fight against it. Uh, you know, things happen for a reason and, uh, uh, you know, you and I both have some good examples of, of those things. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, both personally and professionally? Well, I think I'll start with personally because that's the most important thing to me. Uh, I want to, uh, see my kids more and uh and and read to them more and be home more uh and uh, i do see all those things becoming becoming a reality uh in terms of professionally skyrocket education is going to continue to grow we're going to continue to support schools and school leaders uh i i and teachers and uh, you know of course students uh, as a as a byproduct of that uh i imagine that team growing to to two or three times the size in the next three to five years, which I'm really excited about. I mean, that's part of our strategic plan. In terms of rebel culture, uh, Alex, the I don't, I don't know. I am leaving it open. I'm one of those, um, because Skyrocket is, is kind of doing well and, uh, you know, I am, I am, uh, I am, I am taking rebel culture one day at a time, which doesn't mean that, it's not urgent or intentional. We are starting out by just creating a daily email blast called the culture shot, which comes out. It's like a shot of a shot of espresso in your inbox every morning. I, I am writing an entire year's worth of daily emails, which will certainly get some people to unsubscribe on day five. <laughs> but I think we'll also get a lot of people to be like, wow, this is cool. It's they're short, you know, four to four to eight lines, uh, something that you could read in the morning before work or before school, or before starting your day and say, oh yeah, this like, this, this resonates with me. And we're starting there. Um, yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll be consulting with lots of businesses and I'll be doing some, some, uh, some, some more keynotes, but I'm leaving the future open, man. I'm just, I'm riding the wave. 
The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Yeah, I'd say that um, folks should think about whatever their uh, current situation is. One of my favorite uh, pieces of advice is um, uh, somebody told it to me years ago, but they said, this is just how it is right now. I think we have a tendency as as humans to think that our current situation is our forever situation. Think about when you've been sick in the past, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not talking about like sick, sick, I'm talking about like cold. And it feels like I'm always going to have a cold, right? I'm just like, this yeah. is going to be forever. Like, am I ever going to feel better? Is my, am I ever, ever not going to have a fever? Like, and I think that we do that with life in general. Um, if we're struggling with money, or uh, like not having good luck in relationships. Um, I was talking to my Uber driver today, just randomly and he's saying like, I'm 51 years old. I don't have a college degree. I wanna raise my kids to care about school, but people copy what they see. I said, hey man, like it's not too late. (laughs) Like it is like, like, it is not too late. You are 51, not 91, which by the way, if you were 91, I'd still say it's not too late. If this matters to you, you can make it happen in this place of frustration and this place of, of I'm not where I want to be. It's just how it is right now. Um, and so that's the first thing. Uh, that's the first thing to remember. Uh, I think folks should, um, I think folks should, everybody could benefit from getting humble and uh, being willing to learn things that they don't know how to do. And uh, I did that and it was, it humbled me like crazy. And I think it's important uh, to step into spaces where we're uncomfortable. Um, And um, yeah, I just, I think that what, what helped me, and I I think this will resonate with the listeners is, is it took me, it took me some years to find it out, which is fine, but you know, what, what impact do you want to have? And it, it doesn't have, you don't have to change the world outwardly you just might want to be the best dad in the world or the best son uh or the best pet owner right or the like the best skateboarder like whatever like doesn't have to be you don't have to split the atom to have an impact i think that folks should figure out what that impact is going to be for them and then then run full speed in that direction well michael i want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge you're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you alex thanks so much for having me man it's been a, it's been a pleasure to talk to you uh i love uh i love what you uh what you have going on with rise to the challenge and i'm, I'm honored to be a, a small part of it tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel to the full length episode and video format what path will you take to accomplish your goals you decide